Stories told of a priest who was confronted by a soldier while he was walking down a road in pre-revolutionary Russia. And the soldier, aiming his rifle at the priest, commanded, Who are you? Where are you going? And why are you going there? Unfazed, the priest calmly replied, How much do they pay you? <laughs> and the soldier, kind of taken aback by the priest's response, the soldier answered, uh, 25 kopecks a month. And the priest paused and in a deeply thoughtful way said, I have a proposal for you. I will pay you 50 kopecks each month if you stop here every day and challenging me, challenge me by asking me those same three questions. Let me ask you, how do you respond to those three questions? Those same three questions. Who are you? Where are you going? Why are you going there? I can see the stress levels rising as some of you are thinking, how do I answer this correctly? This is school season. Stop worrying. The good news is that in Jesus, we find our identity and we find our, our life purpose. And, and we can confidently answer those three questions when we're followers of, of Jesus. He takes care of the biggest questions in our lives. I, I find that to be very, very good news. Uh, we're going to spend a couple Sundays here at Hillside asking that question, though, as a church. As Hillside Community Church, who are we? Where are we going? Why are we going there? Um, those are really good questions as we ask and, and consider what it means to be this particular church, as we consider what it means for us, this unique body, how we follow Jesus together. Um, some of you know that the elders have been asking these questions for a little while. We've had kind of a task force that have been wrestling with this. Just how has God uh, kind of uniquely shaped and, and wired Hillside to minister, to work in our world? Uh, what, a, what is that uh, being the church look like uniquely expressed through us? All churches are, are called to, to, to a lot of things, like loving God and, and loving people, uh, of sharing his good news and, and caring for for those who are, are hurting and, and, and lost, but, but what does it uniquely, this, this mission, look like in us? And out of this process, which is really still ongoing, uh, we've come up with a couple key phrases and questions. We've come up with some core values and, and some refining questions that, that we'll be asking, but, but we have these couple of statements that we hope will, uh, A, help us get focused, and then help us stay focused, that keep us on track. The first is what you might call our mission statement. We are on a mission to become a community of fully equipped and empowered followers of Jesus, bringing his healing, hope, and compassion to the tri-cities and beyond. We're in a mission to get rid of that squealing noise from the speaker <laughs> this morning. That's our mission. What, what is the mission? It's to be the kind of community that is so empowered by God as, as individuals, so mobilized, so equipped, so freed up, that we are, are able to bring God's healing and hope and compassion to, to families and, and marriages and individuals and, and communities that, that are around us. And, and not just in our neighborhood, we're, we're talking in places far, far away like Pitt Meadows, and, and Maple Ridge, and, and Burnaby, and New Westminster, and Vancouver, and, 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 and way across the sea, and, and, and faraway places like Kenya, and, and China, and all those kind of places in the world that we love to partner with, and, and work with, with people working in the world. 
And then uh, we went on to rework our, our vision statement. Vision is so important. We're going to be talking a lot about this next week. But our vision is this. For the glory of God, our vision is to connect deeply, grow fully, and serve passionately. We, we've been using that connect, grow, serve language for a while. We found it simple and kind of easy to remember. We, this is slow pitch for us. We hope that, that it'll be easy for you to kind of grasp hold of that language. But we'll talk about those those kind of three, the connect, grow, serve part of our vision next Sunday. But this morning I want to take that, this, this first phrase from our, our vision statement, for the glory of God. Because this, this line, for the glory of God, is not some throwaway, tack-on kind of little phrase. It, it, it kind of looks like that, doesn't it? It's, it's the kind of thing you add to the end of something to make it sound spiritual or something. This is not what it's intended to be. We, we have this at the front end, First, because it matters most. We as a church, more than anything else we do, more than anything else we try to accomplish, more than any ministry that we try to do in in our world, our goal, our, our, our first task is to be about God's glory. And so this morning we're going to look at what the Bible means when it when it teaches us that all glory belongs to God. Before we do that, let's pray. And I thought we could pray corporately today, the prayer that our Lord taught us. Would you join with me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is in the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. For the glory of God. That's a, a phrase that was used by the reformers in the 16th century. In Latin, it was soli deo gloria to the glory of God alone. And if all glory belongs to God, guess what? None of it comes to us. None of it belongs to us. It's not solely meo gloria, it's solely deo gloria. And, and this is not some sort of like abstract belief that we kind of hold on to. This is the bedrock of our faith. It, it, it actually is going to define how we live. It's going to define who we are as a church. The Apostle Paul gave this really challenging and, and, and fairly radical instruction in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, wh- whatever we do, when you get up in the morning, waking up, uh, eating breakfast, get, going off to work, driving your car, uh, doing chores, dropping kids off at school, going to school, uh, eating meals, drinking, all these kind of things, we're to do to the glory of God. I mean, how do we do that? I wonder, do we kind of um, walk around like Usain Bolt, you know, uh, you know, giving kind of a nod to the heavens every time we, we, we win after a race or something like that, kind of a uh, thank you, Lord, as, as we're going about our day? How do we give glory to God in real and authentic ways, both as individuals and as a church? Well, first of all, let me say uh, glory is kind of a strange word for many of us. It, it seems archaic or old-fashioned, and uh, sometimes it gets misused. Um, I can think of one example. 
I uh, used to go to a church for a time that, that was very charismatic. And some of you might think of this as a charismatic church. Maybe you come from like an Anglican tradition or something that's a little more staid, and you're going hillsides out there. Well, this was, church was really out there. And uh, in this particular church, people would say, preach it, brother, to the, the, the person who was preaching. And people would shout, amen, when he had a good point and those kind of things. And, and they'd shout out things when, when you're singing songs and so on. And, and I was uh, courting my wife at the time, and this was her church, and she sat in the same seat every Sunday, and the guy who sat right behind us, used his, his word that he would say all the time was, glory, glory. And I grew up in a church where people didn't shout out things, and so I found this really distracting. And, but he'd say, glory, all the time, all the way through the service, glory, glory, glory. And uh, on one particular Sunday, as the pastor was talking uh, in his message about the devil's work in the world and how the devil was having his sway over a particular area, this guy shouts out, glory, just he was on autopilot, glory. And the pastor is annoyed at this point. He points at the guy and says, no, not glory. <laughs> I love that. Not glory. And if you guys start shouting glory in this, during this service, we're going to ask you to leave. Just I want to tell you, I have baggage in this area. You know, this is why we have bouncers at the doors, for people like you. <laughs> so what is the biblical idea of glory? Well, Scripture suggests that, that proclaiming God's glory is the most natural thing in the world. Uh, according to the, to the writers of Scripture, that the great truth about God is that he is glorious. They reveled in this. They said that his glory is proclaimed everywhere. Psalm, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And what that psalmist was saying was that creation, that the heavens and the earth tell us something about God, the, the beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the majesty, the, the power of creation reflect who God is. When we recognize this and when we kind of revel in it and when we we celebrate it, we give God glory. And I want to say we were made for this. We, we ought to do this. And it's a good thing to do. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We sang it in that song this morning. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Why? Because God's character, his person, is glorious. Recognize that. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now this uh, brings up a, a pretty important point. Lincoln mentioned this last month as to, to, to why does God want us to do this? Does, does this make God kind of needy or maybe a bit of an egotist to, to, to want us to say, when he says, give me glory? And we need to understand that we don't worship God because he's needy or hungry for adoration. We worship God because it's the most natural response in the world when we notice his glory. Um, a few years ago, our boys slept in bunk beds. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. We kept them in bunk beds far past their due. Uh, my, my son was, was, you know, head to foot headboard in these bunk beds. The, the winner of the, the, the bunk bed deal was my, my eldest son who had the top bunk 
and he had an amazing view out the window, and they begged to leave the curtains open every night so he could get a view of the night sky. And uh, one night, they'd, they'd gone to bed, and uh, soon after they'd gone to bed, they came running downstairs screaming with excitement. Because what they had seen out the window was lights dancing in the sky. And we went running outside, and sure enough, there in Port Coquitlam, in the sky above Burke Mountain, were the northern lights. And we're like, what? And, and I got excited at this point. I'd never seen the northern lights in the city before. And so I, I, I ran over to our next-door neighbor. They were relatively new to the neighborhood. Uh, the, the fellow was new to Canada. He was Scottish. And we just, like, pounded on the door and said, come on out. you got to see this. And they come, out, come running out. And next thing you know, I, I swear this is true, we all climb into our van. My boys are still in their pajamas. And, and neighbors in tow, we drive out to the countryside, to the dike, so that we could look at this uh, in, in greater darkness and see the, this display, this visual light display in the sky. It was awesome. And, and here's the thing. If you see something glorious, uh, if you see a, a fabulous sunset, or if you see a, a comet streaking across the sky, or you see the northern lights, you know, what you want to do is you want to you tell somebody you want to share the joy, you know? You, you, you want to express an appreciation for the glory that you've seen. Now, now, if you see something glorious and it's a person, that takes it to a whole nother level, right? I mean, if you're, single, you're a single man and, and, and you see a, a beautiful woman, there's something inside you that wants to tell that woman that she's beautiful. And uh, if she receives your praise and is, is pleased by it, um, you never know, you might even be able to, to enter into a relationship with her. And, and you might be able to, in some strange, kind of deep way, share in her beauty. And that's glorious. And, and God is a glorious God doing a, a glorious thing, and we get to be a part of it. We get to enter into a relationship with this God. That's why we exist. We get to share his glory. I think this is why when, when Moses, one day when he was talking to God, he asked God a, a very curious request. This is what he prayed in Exodus 33. Show me your glory. I, I got to think this is one of the most remarkable moments in human history. Ever, ever ask God for that? Show me your glory. How, how do you think you, God would respond? If you were God, how would you respond to Moses? You might respond by, by showing him great earthquakes or, or great lightning storms or, or huge galaxies or, or spectacular special effects. This is what the Lord said. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. In other words, the most glorious thing about God is not his majesty or his power or his strength. The, the most glorious thing about God is his goodness. <laughs> it's his goodness, how good he is. God passed by Moses, and he proclaimed his goodness, his kindness, his love, and his mercy, and, and his compassion. That was, was God's glory. God's glory is his goodness. So we were made to experience God's glory. The, the, the Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It's a God word. It's a marvelous word. It, it, and it originally carried the idea of weight or substance or, or even burden and the idea is that the glory 
of God gives weight or, or significance or, or meaning to, to all of life and to creation. All of life matters. Your life matters. You know, your life has the weight of glory. This church carries the weight of glory. It, in, in the Bible, the, the glory of God is particularly associated with the presence of God. The, the heavens declare God's glory, but, but when God's presence is manifested, wow, things get real. <laughs> it gets pretty awesome. And, and this is where it gets also a little bit more complicated and dangerous. Let me explain. We learned about this in, in Exodus. Uh, Israel is freed from slavery under Egypt, and, and they go off into the wilderness. And in Exodus 20 and, and 24, God is, is present on the mountaintop on Mount Sinai, and it was glorious. To the Israelites, his glory looked like a, a consuming fire that rested on top of the mountain. And, and, and here's the thing, they were drawn to God's glory. They were drawn to his kabod, his, his beauty and his splendor. But at the same time, they're afraid of it. They're afraid of it. We're told that the Israelites wanted to stay at a distance. So they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. <laughs> They're scared. The people stayed at a distance because in a sense, the glory of God is awful. In the old-fashioned sense of the word, full of awe. We want to see it, but we're afraid it will kill us. Somehow we know that God is other than us. God is holy and meant to be revered, and somehow we know kind of we don't measure up. Remember the shepherds in the Christmas story at Bethlehem, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and as the King James says, and they were sore afraid. And so we were made to experience God's glory. We love it. And we crave it, but this is where we bump into actually a fairly major problem for the human race. It goes right back to the garden, goes right back to the, the fall and our rebellion. We've been cut off from God's glory, and now we're starving for it. One of the most famous verses in Scripture is, is Romans 3.23. Some of you know this one by heart. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what sin does is it cuts us off from God. And, and, and what that does is it perverts our, our true purpose. It, it, it uh, causes us, makes us want to accumulate glory for ourselves. We see this illustrated in the story of the Tower of Babel where, where the people said, let's, let's build this for ourselves. We will use our resources, our smarts, our strength to build a tower. We will not ascribe glory to God. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. And folks, that's the human condition. We're, we're in the name-making business. We want to accumulate glory for ourselves. Come, let us make a name for ourselves is the name of the game for, for human history. In the long run, it never works. And in the end, it kind of looks silly. Um, some of you have heard the story of a newly appointed officer who's just taken command of a military base. And, and a private knocks on his office door, and, and the officer wants to look important. He wants to have the glory due to a new officer. So he picks up the phone, and he pretends to have a, a conversation with a very important person. Yes, sir, general. 
I'll get right on it. You can count on me, sir. He hangs up the phone, and he turns to the private. Yes, private, what do you want, sir? The, the private looks confused. I'm here to hook up your phone, sir. <laughs> Accumulating glory for ourselves just never seems to, to meet our hunger for glory. It, it always seems to not quite be, and we often end up looking silly. And it looks silly when we do this. It looks silly when a church does this. So part of what it means to give glory to God is to actually die to the self-glorification project that many of us are on. We're, we're hungry for glory. And that's, that's why we strive so. Uh, often uh, working harder than we should, working longer than we should. It, it, we we want to look better and, and sound better than we really do. You know, we, we're hungry for glory. Our, 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 our hunger for glory is good. It's part of why we're made, but sin has perverted and, and ruined that hunger. This is one of the most tragic yet, yet true statements of the human condition. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are glory mongers. And, and we can't get true glory on our own. Glory only comes as a byproduct of, of knowing God. You know, we are the, the, the moon is a good example of this. The moon cannot shine by itself. It reflects the light of the sun, and we're meant to reflect God's light. We're meant to be glory reflectors, not glory manufacturers. There's a fascinating account uh, in the book of 1 Samuel where the Israelites, they lose this big battle to the Philistines, and tragically, the, the Ark of the Covenant is captured and taken away. And the Ark of the Covenant embodied God's presence among the Israelites. It was, it was in the tabernacle, it was kept in the tabernacle in, in the holy of holy places in the tabernacle. It represented where God's presence rested over the ark. And, and so with the ark of the covenant gone, it meant that God's presence was no longer with his people. It was a traumatic day. On that same day, their priest Eli dies, and his son dies, and his son's wife dies. But before she dies, she gives birth to a son. And the servant says to her, don't despair, you've given birth to a son. And her final words before she passes away is, his name shall be called Ichabod. She actually made quite a pronouncement as to what was going on in that day. Uh, Ichabod's name stems from kabod, the, the word from glory. I mean, in Hebrew, when the letter I is attached to the beginning of a word, it, it's kind of like what happens in English. When we attach an A to the beginning of moral, we get amoral. It actually means the opposite. And so here, she named her son Ichabod, Ichabod meaning inglorious, or there is no glory. And that was how things were in that day. That described reality for the people of God in that day. Well, this is not where God wanted to leave things. Where, where there is no glory, there, there is no God. And, and one of the prophets said that Kabod is going to come again. <laughs> the glory is coming. Habakkuk de declared that there would be a day that would come when when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a statement about where the world is heading. It's going to be glory. God's glory. The, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. We'll know it. We'll, we'll see it. We'll experience it. We'll, we'll get it. We'll, we'll cherish it. We'll participate in it. That's what the prophet said. 
And then one day, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. That's the most remarkable truth. God's glory is Jesus. And, And Jesus came down off the mountain, if you want to think of it in that way, came down on the mountain, and he moved into our neighborhood. Now we can touch God's glory. We don't have to be at a distance anymore. We can see it. It's like God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and his name shall be Jesus. And on the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. And then he went to the cross. This is a a strange sort of glory. What kind of God is this? What kind of God glorifies his son by crucifying him? The cross, too, demonstrated God's glory. But before Jesus died, Jesus prayed the most astounding prayer for you and for me, praying for his, his disciples, and he prayed this for us. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And here's the kicker. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Do you understand that Jesus has given us the glory of God. It doesn't matter uh, where you're at in life. It doesn't matter if you're broke or or you're jobless or or you're messed up. It doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the glory of God. Jesus gives us his glory. Talk about good news. And And then listen to these rich, rich words of Paul. Amina led us in these words last week. And we all, who with unfailed Unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That that is what we're doing right now. We are being transformed in ever-increasing amounts of glory. What an awesome thought. Not only are we to give God glory, but this is why we were made. We're meant to share in God's glory. The, The old hymn says, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Perhaps one of the greatest things he's done is, is through his son, he has, he has not only shown us his glory, he's shared his glory with us. Wow. Wake up, because this is good news. But what does it mean for us? What are the implications for us here at Hillside? What, what difference might this little phrase, for the glory of God, mean to Hillside Community Church Honestly, I I was a little overwhelmed as I considered this particular question because if all that we do and all that we are is meant to be about God's glory, if that's the chief end of man, to live for the glory of God, it literally changes everything. It's relevant to everything that we do as a church. So let me humbly just suggest a a, a few short things this will mean for us as we consider our mission and our vision as a church. First, it'll be, mean that we'll be a congregation who worships. We will be a worshiping congregation. We will be a church who cultivates this hunger for experiencing 
the presence of the living God in our midst. We won't come here like it's a funeral procession and, and just go through the motions. We will come here and we will do all in our power to lift up and, and give glory to the name of Jesus, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll stubbornly be intentional about this Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year. By the way, this is one of the things I love about our church. When we gather weekly for our, our Sunday worship services, we have um, some good things going on. I, I love uh, the warmth and friendliness of this church. I love that uh, when we have a greeting time in the middle of the service, sometimes we can't stop you because you're enjoying each other so much. That, that can be really annoying for me, but... I love the sense that, that we're, we're learning, I think, what it means to be family as a congregation. I love that we have uh, bread and veggies that are free for, the, for anyone who needs them or wants them after the services. I love that about Sunday. I love the fact that we, we serve pretty good coffee. Like, I think that's important. We, we serve good coffee. Uh, I love that we're a diverse congregation. We come from many different backgrounds and cultures. And I, and I love that, that many of us grew up in many different parts of the world. We bring that to our, our community. But more than any of those things, I love your heart for worship. And, and I, I know um, that we're not always there. I know that all of us have different personalities and di different ways that we're going to express our, our worship. But I, I love the sense of us enthusiastically giving God glory together. That's why we gather. We gather to lift up the name of Jesus and to honor God and to give God glory. So we'll continue to do this. And and not only this, we'll actually not just worship corporately, we'll seek to equip you so that you will cultivate a life that gives glory to God throughout your week, learning through practicing various rhythms and, and spiritual practices and, and cultivating a life of prayer so that we carry into our lives, into, in our everyday work world, the capacity to be able to give glory whatever we're doing, eating, drinking, or whatever. In our, in our jobs, in our homes, in, in our neighborhoods. That's, that's going to be something that we do, is, is seeking to have the glory of God, giving God glory through our private lives and also through our corporate worship together. Secondly, if we're living for God's glory, it'll affect how we treat one another. If God's glory is his goodness, our practices as a church ought to reflect God's character. We're called to live out God's mission in a way that it actually reflects or represents God's goodness, God's glorious character, his qualities to the world. Amazing. I do know of churches who have incredible, incredible vision. They've got an awesome mission. They do these great, great things. They've got a big vision. And we could say yes and amen to everything they're doing, but somehow along the way, the mission kind of took over in a way that was unhealthy. I can think of a very successful church that many of you would know in Seattle, not too far from here. You think of just, just a, a year or so ago, that church blew up. And that church was amazing. They had, had great teaching. They had uh, an incredible outreach. Many, many people were coming to Jesus. But somehow along the way, this great vision to reach their city, uh, the leadership level and, and the way they behave towards one another in their community they began to treat each other poorly, disrespectfully, power tripping and, 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 and treating people 
not with the glory that is due their name. If we are going to live out our mission and vision for the glory of God, it'll mean more and more and more that we cultivate this life of respect with one another, that we practice this relational integrity. I've been challenging this recently. There's somebody that annoyed me uh, this summer, and I'm talking really annoyed me this summer. Thanks, Dave. And, and to be honest, I had to confess this to the elders last week at our elders meeting. I said, guys, I, I want to just wash my hands of this person. I really do. And, and, uh, and I, even as I said those words, I knew that the love of Christ compels me, <laughs> that the gospel compels me, that I can't preach the gospel and not live the gospel, that, that somehow I, I have to actually have the the, the guts and the courage to actually talk to this person and work it out and, 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 and seek reconciliation and forgiveness. And, and that's going to be the kind of church we're called to be, bearing with one another, putting up with one another is another modern translation of that, loving one another, treating each other with respect and being kind to one another because those characteristics reflect the glory of God and his goodness. Amen? Third, if we're living for God's glory, it'll affect how we approach our vision and mission. I, 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 uh, I'm excited about our mission and our vision statement. I, I'm excited about what this could look like as we start implementing this. We have a vision to change the world, folks. Like, we want to see God's healing and hope and transformation and his compassion just measured out in all kinds of ways. We want to see your relationships flourish. We want to see your marriages flourish we want to see you equipped so that you, you can, what you've received from God here on a Sunday morning, you can give it away to your neighbors. I, I envision people deployed into our community doing all kinds of random acts of goodness and kindness so that people may see our good deeds and give glory to God the Father, right? Amen? It's a noble thing. And I think of the, the kind of impact we could have if we actually live out this vision. But as we think about our mission and vision, we do well to take warning. Here's an image I, I have of this. Has anyone been to the Taj Mahal? Anyone at all? Got a couple of people who've been to the Taj Mahal. Apparently, it's glorious, right? One of the most uh, brilliant uh, architectural creations, probably on the face of the earth. Awesome to see. It was built all for the sake of burying one person. It's basically a mausoleum for the emperor's favorite wife, Mummats, Mumats who died giving birth in 1632. And, and within months of her death, uh, the, the emperor began constructing this monument in her honor, sparing no labor, no, no expense. It took 22 years to build. But it began with his placing the coffin of his wife at the footprint of where the Taj would be built. And legend has it that, that during construction, the emperor tripped over a block of something and in his anger, he ordered it destroyed. And before the order was carried out, they, they discovered the thing he tripped over was the coffin of his wife, who he had built the whole thing for in the first place. And, and, and I know people again, and I know churches again, who in the pursuit of their mission and vision, vision lost sight of the greater purpose, the great deed the great act, the great act of compassion, the, the project became the big thing, the big show. 
You start building a monument, and it takes on a life of its own. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. That's the temptation for every person and for every church. It happens to, to, to individuals. I, there's a guy, I know him well. He's the husband of my wife and the father to my sons. And he wakes up in the morning and he looks to heaven and he wants sincerely to give God glory with his life. But then so very often, usually right after coffee, he gets sidetracked, living life for applause or recognition or for selfish gain, or ironically thinking that he can give glory to God without God. I I once heard someone describe the end game of the Christian life as this, to become as attractive as Jesus, as dangerous as Jesus, and as fruitful as Jesus. But I know for myself that I become a much less interesting person, much less dangerous person, much less fruitful person, when I'm so driven in my work for God that I have no time to be drawn into his presence, to spend time with the God I want to give glory to. We get so busy with the work that we miss out on the relationship with him. And, and, and so we're going to continue to, to press into this. What does it look like to have a relationship with the living God? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to, to practice silence and solitude so that we can be still and what? Know that I am God. Some of you just need to know that today. That's all you need to know is, is to stop long enough, to pause long enough to know that there is a God. Finally, if we as a church are going to be about glorifying God, we're going to have to be all about Jesus. We're going to need, to need his grace. We're going to need his forgiveness, his, his power. He's the one who actually came to show us true glory. Without him as the center and focus of our life together, guess what? It's Ichabod time. No, no glory. But as Paul says in Colossians, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus in us. That is our hope of glory. We're going we're gonna to pray. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? God, uh, this morning we would be brave like Moses to pray this audacious prayer that in our lives, in our church, in uh, our experience as followers of Jesus together, would you show us your glory? God, we we agree together and we say what we know of you is glorious. And we want to know more and more and more about your glory. And God, we want to say that as a church and as individual followers of you, God. Teach us what it means to do it all for God's glory. Show us what that looks like, God. Empower us and equip us by your Spirit so that whatever we might do as a church, whatever initiatives we might take, whatever uh, events we might put on, the services we hold, that, that God, indeed, truly, it would be for your glory. You'd be glorified here at Hillside Community Church. And we just agree together today and we say as, as the end of that, that great prayer that we pray, Lord, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. And all God's people said, amen.
Why don't you stand together? Let's, let's worship.